Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA Podcast Network. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. And by the time you are listening to this podcast, the NBA draft will be tomorrow. The 2023 NBA draft will be coming out the day after this podcast episode drops. I'm definitely not going loopy at all in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and also definitely not going loopy in any way, shape, or form along with me, Paige Otto. Paige, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Uh, I'm basically the same level of loopy as you are. You know? Yeah, draft there we week. go. <laughs> it's draft week. You know, it's going to be... Yep, one day. I almost messed that up too. <laughs> one See. day until the draft when this podcast airs. So, you know, fun and exciting times ahead. Definitely fun and exciting times ahead in the draft world. Definitely no craziness going to go on in the next 48 hours that completely changes everything. I'm sure there will be no trades or moves of any kind. Nope. But before we get to the actual draft itself, one last swan song for one of our shared guys in this draft. You for NoSealingsNBA.com today, the day we're recording, not the day this comes out, uh, wrote about Jordan Hawkins of UConn, who is someone who I wrote about this season, who you and I have talked about on No Ceilings podcasts and non No Ceilings podcasts about how he is one of our guys in this draft. So I kind of already know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it again just for you know record keeping sake or whatnot. What made you choose to write about Jordan Hawkins for this piece? Yeah, I think we've talked about him like maybe a hundred times <laughs> over the draft cycle. But yeah, I just absolutely love his game. And like when I was like kind of deep diving into his film, I kind of came away liking his defense even more than I did, surprisingly enough, which I was really not expecting. I thought it was going to be the other way around. <laughs> but um, I had a great time writing this piece. Uh, for no ceilings and it was just like kind of like a refresher of why I do have him at number 10 overall and like I think he has real star potential in the league so I guess I'm the hater here seeing as I ended up having him 11th on my board so you know clearly unbelievable yeah I know just just betraying uh, everything that we've said so far no but I mean it's so easy to get excited about Jordan Hawkins film I mean you mentioned the defense and we'll definitely talk about the defense at length later on but I mean just watching him fly around screens on the offensive end, just make absolute havoc, you know, give nightmares to every defender who's trying to trying to deal with this guy coming around the 75th pin, pin down screen in the same possession. It is remarkable just how he gets himself into any crevice of open space he can find to get his shot off. And he's not afraid about letting go. You know, he's not afraid about getting shots up once he gets to a point where he's able to fire away on those. Now, I want to start with sort of the first section here talking about the archives, which is, you know, covering the first section. And you lay out his freshman year stats and sophomore year mm -hmm. stats, you know, you just lay them out in detail in the article. But it is remarkable where, you know, towards the end of last season, you know, Hawkins got a little bit of buzz for, you know, maybe this is a future draftable guy. But I mean, as you mentioned in the piece, he was the 48th ranked recruit coming out of high school and mm -hmm. really struggled with his efficiency that freshman year. So, you know, there was a little bit of buzz towards the end of last season, but really the vast majority of his draft stock has been generated by what he's done last year. Cause there were flashes in his freshman season, but this year was really when he sort of turned on the jets in terms of showing the world what he can do out there. Yeah, for sure. And like, as you mentioned and his freshman season, you know, he still in the minutes he did get, so he only, started about four games out of 27 total. And he kind of had injuries here and there, right? But he still had a usage rate of 23%. Um, this season, he had a usage rate of like 25. Um, so it just goes to show like, even though he was getting far less uh, minutes as a freshman, he can still impact the game. And obviously, you know, Dan Hurley had a lot of confidence in him and making that jump. And obviously it paid off because, you know, they were national champions this year. Right. And I think that also helps the, uh, the draft community and just like casual fans in general, how effective Hawkins can be as a shooter, as a scorer in general, um, and why he is worth being a lottery pick. Um, in the class of 2021, another prospect that was kind of in a similar range of him as him coming out of high school was Kobe Bufkin. Mm -hmm. He was actually the 41st overall prospect, and they're both projected lottery picks. So, it kind of goes to show it doesn't really matter where you're ranked out of high school, you know, what you're projected to be. It's kind of, you know, how you buy into that and just continue to grow, which Hawkins has certainly done. Um, and I think a lot of people weren't really, weren't really expecting this jump. I mean, on our first overall big board of the season, we had him at 41. <laughs> 
So that just goes to show you that, you know, it was kind of his jump was very large and not really expected overall. Yeah, it's interesting just looking at some of the synergy numbers from him last year. I mean, he was still a really good spot-up shooter, you know, mm-hmm. 59th percentile, you know, pretty far above average despite being a 33% three-point shooter. Some of the other numbers, I mean, his transition and off-screen numbers were a lot worse, certainly than they were this year, you know, worse than I would have expected. But, you know, it is really interesting in that, you know, even last year, he was taking a pretty difficult diet of shot attempts. He just wasn't hitting them at the rate he was this year. And so he went from like, okay, you know, he can be decently efficient as a spot-up guy, but, you know, maybe take some looks that he shouldn't take, you know, running off screens from that to this year being, no, you know, actually he's the best shooter in this class pretty clearly. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. a very interesting sort of jump. And I think it's the kind of thing where, you know, I've ranted time and time again about what I've called the Derek Williams principle of sometimes, you know, a really bad shooter can look great on the small sample size of a college season. Last year with Hawkins, you know, yeah, he shot 33%. He also took 81 attempts, which is nowhere near the volume that we saw from him this year, right? And usually when you boost your volume that much, it, you know, doesn't exactly help the efficiency. But with Hawkins, it almost, you know, certainly appears to be the kind of thing where maybe last year he struggled a bit more than sort of his baseline. And then this year, I mean, you know, he was uh, at or above 40% from deep for almost the entire year Mm -hmm. on that ridiculous volume of attempts he was taking. Yeah. And I think that goes to show you that I think he just really bought into his role and kind of just letting loose and like Dan Hurley allowing him to use to do that. Um, I think Corey mentioned this with Brandon Miller in his article that he wrote about on Monday, but I kind of alluded to the fact of like his hit rate. So um, I'm connecting on over 183s. He sa- so he made 109 out of 281 attempts. So per 100 possessions, he made he attempted 15.23 threes <laughs> at a almost 39% clip, which is just insane overall. Given that you know you kind of already mentioned that he only took about 80 attempts his freshman season. So he's just like a sniper <laughs> from downtown. And I kind of mentioned like, it's so chaotic watching it. Like I would <laughs> definitely not want to be guarding him. Um, but it's also like such a pretty thing to watch too. Cause that's what basketball is. It's pretty, right. That's why we kind of love watching it all the time. <laughs> Cause you were just like kind of trying to like figure out the X's and O's of it and like watch our favorite players and like how, they manipulate defenses and stuff. And like, I kind of alluded to the fact too, that he's kind of a mastermind at that. Um, Cause he, cu- he doesn't really have like a specific hand. He likes more to dribble with too, which kind of makes it harder for defenses to guard him too, which I kind of like. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we talk about this a lot more with lefty players just cause they're more rare, mm-hmm. but also cause it feels more relevant. I mean, you know, we talked for quite a while about, you know, how, people tend to favor James Harden the wrong way because, you know, he's a lefty. They assume he can't get back to the other hand. I mean, you know, in specific, like last year, we talked quite a bit about how Jaden Ivey really struggles to get to his left hand, how he's so right-hand dominant. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, if the defense knows that they can play you one way and just take you out of the game, it makes it so much easier for you to defend than, oh, no, we have to worry about him going back around the other way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like with Hawkins, like even with his off ball movement, you don't know where he's going. And when he does put it on the deck, which is pretty rarely, I mean, you know, he basically takes fewer than four dribbles per possession. (laughs) So chances are, you know, he's not gonna, you know, wow you with his ball handling skills. But I think he does have quite the tight handle just due to his athleticism um, and length and feel for the game. But as you mentioned, that's just another way that you don't really know what he's going to (laughs) do, which I think will help him extremely well at the next level, because yes, his off ball movement is what he's known for, but he's not going to get open as much as he will at the NBA as he does in college, because NBA guys are going to know what he's going to do. And he's going to be dealing with elite level athletes every game. So. Let's talk quickly about some of the shooting numbers. So I mentioned the numbers from last year. So 59th percentile spot up, you know, pretty solid, uh, middling to not great elsewhere. This year, a bit of a different story. So I'm just going to read directly from the article. Per Synergy, Hawkins ranks in the 88th percentile off catch and shoot possessions, 1.23 points per possession, the 83rd percentile on jump shot possessions overall, 84th percentile off screens, 97th percentile off spot ups. That's that's not bad. (laughs) Yeah, just 
a little bit of a difference. Yeah, just, you know, it's slight, slight, slight variation from, you know, being above 60% and exactly none of those numbers last season. No, but I mean, it's, you know, telling just in the sense that it adds further clarity to, you know, the basics of, okay, you know, as you mentioned, 15 three-pointers per 100 possessions. I mean, mm-hmm. he was ninth in the entire the of NCAA in the number of three-pointers he put up this past season, which I know because he put up more than half the number of three-pointers that Indiana put up by himself, which I read about for a different article. That's a different story. But yeah, I mean, with Hawkins, you mentioned some of the things that leads to him being what he is. I mean, we've mentioned how he's just relentless at running off screens constantly, but you pull up his ability to to square his feet, uh, square his body and feet to the basket basically anytime he shoots. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, sometimes you get shooters who they can only go one way. I mean, a concern for Tyrese Halliburton that turned out to be overblown coming into the NBA, but, you know, concern for him was because of the way he shoots the ball, it'll be much harder for him to do it off the dribble, right? Or, you know, it'll be much harder for him to pull up going left than it will for him to pull up going right. With Hawkins, it's the kind of thing where, you know, as soon as he rises up, he'll find a way to get himself squared to the basket, even if it's from a really awkward position where, you know, somebody else might, you know, screw up the landing or, you know, not follow through properly, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, that's a big thing for any shooter is just having that constant way to get into your shot and have it flow correctly. Um, Because, you know, you can be a great shooter, you know, as you mentioned, going to your right or just your left, but Hawkins can do both. Like, it's nearly identical of how he gets to his shot, how he gets to his loading zone and how he releases the ball. Um, Either way, which in hindsight, it's really hard to do, <laughs> especially if you know you're dominant, you're a dominant right-handed shooter, left-handed shooter, you know, chances are it's going to look a little bit different. That's just, you know, the name of the game, right? It's kind of yeah. like, oh, you can write with your, you can maybe write with your left hand, but it might just be awful, <laughs> right? But you kind of can do it. But well, um... Unfortunately for me, it's not going to be much better <laughs> than my right hand, but that's a different problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just think that's a skill that, you know, he has not a lot of awesome shooters especially in college have um but i did notice like when he does go on the deck and put the ball on the deck that he kind of tends to get a little lean in the shot that's just because like i like as i mentioned in the article he doesn't have a lot of volume there so i think he's just trying to work through his mechanics there um and that's one area that i'm looking to see develop over the nba because i think he can do that i mean he's athletic enough he's twitchy enough it's just his willingness to actually get there and in the mid-range in general. Yeah, it is definitely surprising to me, given how crazy of an athlete he is that we don't see it mm-hmm. more often. And I think yeah. that's a lot of what you lead into of just, you know, him not being as comfortable getting himself. I mean, first of all, just getting himself off the dribble at all, but you know, him, mm-hmm. his ability to get all the way to the rim, his ability to find something useful to do if he gets trapped in the mid-range. I mean, you mentioned, and I do just want to circle back to it because it is pretty telling 48.5% of his drives to the right, 45.5% of his drives to the left. That's that's about as even as you're going to see for any yeah. prospect in terms of those splits. And it's interesting because, you know, it's not the kind of thing where, you know, we're talking about him driving to a dominant hand, right? That's the kind of thing that maybe would skew that. And, you know, on the one hand, that's a good thing that it's not a part of Hawkins's game, you know, that he's not particularly dominant to one side or the other. On the other hand, it is interesting that, you know, someone who doesn't usually drive all the way to the rim is also someone who's a bit more comfortable putting it on the deck with either hand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And with him, you know, just creating off the dribble in general, only 38% of his possessions were spent doing that (laughs) compared to a higher, higher amount, you know, catching or shooting off the three point line, you know, off the catch as spot up shooter, you know, off screens, um, coming off screens, it was like the 99th percentile. <laughs> so that's just a huge range. And, you know, I would like to, it to be more even just because of how I think Hawkins can develop into an elite three level scorer. Um, I think it will be much more difficult, obviously, in the NBA. But at least he's willing, you know, on a short, short volume to actually get there is telling. Um, but also that wasn't really his job to do at UConn. That wasn't necessarily his role. Just because, you know, when you're elite at something or, you know, extremely good at, you're going to want to do that most of the time. <laughs> right? right? But at least he was trying to do that. And like with him, you know, being a college sophomore, you know, he's 21 years old. 
um, it just alludes to the fact of like his work ethic and his hard work that I like, like a lot about him as well. I think the flip side is, you know, he didn't get as much room to explore the studio space in the mid-range at mm -hmm. UConn as, you know, he might have in a different team context, but he's also going from a team that just won a national championship to, you know, given that he's going in the lottery range, right? Unless it's a, you know, playoff team trading into that range, he's going to go to a team that isn't, you know, quite national championship strength, right? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that the UConn Huskies could beat an NBA team. I'm not going down that line of conversation because that's, yeah. But anyway, not going down the line of conversation. But the point being that, you know, Hawkins is going to be going to a team that maybe will give him more freedom to say, actually, you know what? Yeah, go ahead and see what you can do as a middle uh, mid-range pull-up guy because, you know, when you're talking about the three-level scoring with him, I mean, the third level of scoring, he's got that down pat, right? When nobody yeah. nobody's going to particularly worry about his ability to score from three-point range. But, you know, as we'll get to, you know, his mid-range game, you know, he did a little bit there, but maybe not as mm -hmm. much as you might like. And the rim finishing is, I think, one of the bigger concerns for him. So we can sort of transition into that now. He's got all the sort of requisite athletic tools that you would want. I mean, every once in a while when he does get all the way to the rim, I mean, he had, I think, nine dunks on the year and like two yeah. or three of them were absolutely insane. And, mm -hmm. you know, the others were like, okay, so wait, you can do this. Why are you not doing this more than <laughs> nine times a season, right? And, you know, part of that is he's more than willing to just shoot whenever he gets the ball from beyond the arc, which, you know, power to him when you're that good at doing it. But, you know, as you mentioned, he shot 52.6% at the rim this season on 95 attempts, which is, you know, certainly not the worst number that you're going to see in that range for a 6'5 guard, but it's also not anywhere near as good as you'd expect given the kind of athletic tools that Hawkins has at his disposal. And also given how close defenses have to guard him beyond the three point line because of how lethal he is out there. Yeah. And like, as you mentioned, like it's kind of just flashes, right. Of him, you know, getting by uh, his defenders quite easily. I mean, he barely takes, you know, a ton of dribbles as it is, but they're very impactful and effective and he does it with purpose. So whether that's, you know, a crossover or he kind of sometimes does like a little hezzy into like a setback, if he is trying to get a mid-range shot off or he kind of just does a crossover behind the screen and then just, you know, drives either way uh, because he is so good either way, right? So um, it's just a matter of him just being consistent in that aspect. And I want to see more cuts out of him. Mm. I mean, I was like really shocked that, you know, he only had 12 field goals off cuts this season. And with how his feel for the game is on the offensive end, he should be making way more than that. And that's just easy buckets for him. So that was really surprising to me to see. So I'm going to pimp out my own work a little bit here, but apologies in Unbelievable. advance. Unbelievable. But yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> but so I wrote about Jalen Hood Chafino last week and how strange it is to look at his game when he's essentially the same kind of non-cutter that Hawkins is. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had nine cuts all season, yeah. right? So somehow even fewer, but the difference there that makes me a lot more concerned about it for Huchifino than I am for Hawkins is Huchifino isn't the kind of off ball shooter that Hawkins is, right? It's like yeah. if he's standing without the ball in his hands, he's not someone who's going to be knocking down 40% of his spot up threes. Right. But he's also not going to be someone that's cutting with Hawkins. It's like, Yes, it would be nice if he was, you know, better better equipped and more willing to sort of take advantage of defenses that abandon him, but defenses also aren't going to abandon him, right? It's the kind of thing yeah. where there's going to be someone on him when he's out beyond the three-point line. So, you know, the lack of a cutting game for him, I think, is a lot less concerning than it is for Huchivino because if he's not cutting, he's still an exceptionally valuable off-ball player, right? You know, he's much more valuable mm -hmm. off the ball than on the ball. But it is very interesting that, you know, someone who is such a valuable off-ball player just doesn't have that one, you know, big part of off-ball play in their game. That being said, the fact that the rest of his off-ball game, you know, the fact that he's such a great shooter, I think mitigates that concern a little bit. But it is a bit weird given how the rest of his game works. Yeah, and I think that kind of stems to, you know, if he knows a play is getting run for him or he's used to, you know, coming off stagger screens or you know, floppy actions and whatnot, what, rather than, you know, letting someone else get their shot, their shut off, he kind of 
doesn't really know what to do in the corner, or like when to cut, when not to cut. So that's just another area of improvement that I'm kind of looking for him um, to develop. Um, but as you mentioned, it is kind of just a little bit odd, right? And like same with his, you know, kind of floater or like runner game. He only had 13 attempts there too. And kind of like with his off the dribble game as well and mid-range game in general, the volume is really low, right? But his mechanics are kind of off and he looks a lot less comfortable in that range than he does in the three-point at, at, at the three-point line because he is, in my opinion, the most confident shooter there is in the draft class. And for that confidence to kind of get taken away in the mid-range is kind of like, that's interesting. So I just want to see your thoughts on that because I was also surprised at that as well. Yeah, I mean, it it kind of doesn't fit with the rest of his yeah. game like in, a, in a really weird sort of way. And... I don't know. I mean, you know, this is someone who not only is an exceptionally confident shooter, but also has ridiculous touch. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I've called myself a partial free throw truther time and time again because of, you know, how I think that, you know, tends to translate, right? And this is someone right. who, even when he struggled from three-point range last year, he still knocked down 82% of his free throws, you know, his first season, and he hit 89% this season, right? Yeah. This is someone who has, you know... 89% is like, you know, pretty close to all time free throw record, right? Like I think it's 90.5 yeah. that Steph's at at this point, right? So it's like just the most positive indicator of touch that you can imagine, right? Like, you know, all mm -hmm. they're pretty close to record breaking pace as a free throw shooter. And yet he gets into that mid range game. And if it's not like a, you know, pretty easy to get to pull up jumper, it just feels off. And yeah you know, again, especially given his confidence from long range and also given the touch that he shows, right? It's not like he's someone who doesn't quite have the touch from 18 feet, right? You know, you just look at his free throw numbers. This is clearly someone mm -hmm. who, you know, has that part down. And yet when it's not, you know, a pull-up jumper, you know, it just looks like he's not really all that used to it. Yeah, exactly. Like his feet kind of look off and like, he kind of doesn't know when to shoot or when not to shoot. But when he's coming off screens, like, you know, kind of like a madman, right? He knows exactly when to shoot it or, you know, kind of do a little bit shot fake or a step back and just, you know, pull the trigger. Right. So that was kind of telling. Um, he did make some tough shots of like, you know, his 13 attempts that were, you know, he can absorb contact. He can finish through it. I think, you know, despite of like his frame. Right. And like kind of how he kind of looks a little slender and whatnot. I think he's strong. Um, you, you know, you can kind of look at Sean in different ways, like, you know, he's physically imposing or, you know, his feel for the game strong or kind of a mix of the both. Um, but he's not he's no like, you know, James Naji, Right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, I still think he's uh, Sean in that sense. And I just really believe in his feel for the game. But in his mid range, you know, he only attempted 54 shots from uh, 17 feet and just inside the three point line. Uh, while shooting, you know, 38% from those distances combined, which I was kind of like, you know, it is what it is, but at least he's, you know, getting there. And it's not that he can't get to his spots. We know he can. It's just a matter of him kind of getting used to making those tough reads or tough shots because especially when a defender is like trailing him, I've noticed off, you know, ball screens, he does get a little flustered. Yeah. And, you know, it's the kind of thing as well that, you know, especially given the sort of combination of the rest of his game, it's not the end of the world if he can't quite get there in the mid range, but especially I think it's the combination of, you know, as you mentioned with the frame stuff, he's not James Najee. He's also not Terquavion Smith. So, yeah. you know, he's not, he's not going to be pushed around around the basket to quite the same degree that some other people will. And yet it's not, you know, particularly, I mean, I'm more surprised, honestly, by his rim finishing concerns than the mid-range stuff. Because it's like, okay, if he's not getting to a relatively clean pull-up jumper, you know, he's he's not as used to the floater game. He's not as used to the runner game. But given his ridiculous hops, his ability to finish around the basket is, I think, you know, maybe the mid-range stuff is a bit weirder, I guess. But I think the finishing stuff is more of an issue, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And, like, um, not saying these two prospects are the same because they're not. Uh, but Bilal Kulabali, I know he has a, a way bigger wingspan than Jordan Hawkins and is a little bit taller, but just kind of how they move on the court, they kind of remind me of each other just in their movement patterns because they are so difficult to guard and it just flows so well in the game. Um, you know, if not saying that Jordan Hawkins has to be 
you know, as effective as Kolobali is at the rim. You know, he's shooting near over 65% there, which is just incredible. But I think Hawkins could for sure get to at least 60% with, you know, his athleticism and just his burst and pop. Yeah, and that's like he, you know, the Koulibaly numbers, the finishing numbers are ridiculous. But, you know, that's, he doesn't need to be ridiculous, right? I think he just Mm -hmm. needs to get, like, even if he gets to the 55, 56, 57% range, where it's like closer to average rather than, oh, this is actually weakness for him. That's that's really the part that doesn't quite fit for me is it's not just that he's, you know, not amazing. It's that he's like actually getting you know getting close to real just not good at all and mm-hmm. given the kind of athletic tools he has like again even just getting to like 57 percent at the rim would be a pretty huge step forward in terms of just just how much defenses have to pay attention to him when he's trying to drive yeah exactly and with his you know finishing numbers you know nearly 53 percent but on layups he shot less than that at you know only 51 percent on you know 80 attempts this season um, so that's just another thing that, you know, he has to get average at, right. Because he's going to be r- ran off the line so much more in the NBA than in college. And he's going to have to find other ways to deal with that. Otherwise, you know, he's going to be limited, which, you know, I don't want him to be cause I have so much trust in him, but it's just something that he has to, you know, work on at the next level. Speaking of things that he has to work on at the next level, let's move <laughs> on to his playmaking and, I think you frame this conversation perfectly with starting out with, yeah, the assist numbers won't wow you. The assist to turnover numbers won't wow you. But as you mentioned, I think he had the most important part for him personally down, which was great chemistry with his bigs in Don McClingan and yeah. Adama Sanogo. And, you know, I think that's really the main point that he needs to get to. I mean, he's pretty much a pure shooting guard at six, five, right? You're not going to have him run mm-hmm. point. You know, you're not going to have him initiate the offense. You know, maybe you have him bring the ball up in transition, but like he's not going to be, he's not going to be tasked with running the offense at any point. Right. But what he does need to be able to do is make good decisions, make them quickly and, you know, be able to get the ball to someone else who can continue the possession. And, you know, with his chemistry with Klingon and Sonogo, sure, it's a lot of simple passes, but he was making them right. He was seeing those passes. Mm-hmm. He was making those reads and, on occasion, he was, you know, putting them through tight windows to get them through the paint, which, you know, that's really, again, he doesn't need to be at the point where he's Tyrese Albert and his passer, right? It's just, he needs to make good decisions when the ball's in his hands. If he needs to move it, he'll move it. And, you know, if he needs to get it to his big, he will. And at least at that level of playmaking, he seemed at least much more comfortable than sort of the generating offense for, you know, running the offense as a whole kind of deal. Yeah, for sure. And like, yeah, if you just looked at, you know, his stats without watching any of the film, you'd be like, what in the world, right? I mean, he only had 1.3 assists this season on 48 assists to 48 turnovers uh, with an assisted turnover rate of 0.94, which is, right, not the best. Not <laughs> just great. Of fun, like, yeah. <laughs> That's but, a number you want to be higher than one, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a good foundation in terms of, you know, having a good relationship with your bigs and, you know, being able to make those quick entry passes or, you know, hit them um, off the pick and rolls and ball screens and whatnot. And Hawkins can certainly do that. And he had, you know, of his 45 assists, he had some really nice eye-popping passes, especially to Sonogo and Kleenan, which I really liked. And it's a skill to have. I know it's not obviously eye-popping compared to, you know, and then Thompson's playmaking ability or, you know, Jalen Hedgefino's, right? But it's a skill. And with Hawkins, you know, being a six foot five shooting guard um, in today's league, he's going to be able, he's going to have to make them, especially with, you know, some of the projections of teams he's, he might be going to, right? right. Like the Lakers, you know, Anthony Davis is going to be like, get the ball to me. <laughs> and, you know, Hawkins is going to have to if he ends up going to that team, right? So it's just the thing that I really like with Hawkins and especially his chemistry with Andre Jackson Jr. Um, Mm -hmm. I was actually surprised because, um, you know, with Hawkins, you know, he doesn't have the best playmaking feel in the world. But with him being able to work so well with an incredible and elite athlete like Jackson Jr. just gave me more confidence in his ability and what he could be able to show because he's going to be working with those type of athletes, you know, all the time. Um, And especially on his kickout passes too. Obviously he's not really an awesome, you know, rim threat or, you know, mid-range threat yet, 
but he is able to still, you know, get the defense to surround him more for him to make up those kickout passes, which, you know, he's even going to be surrounded by way more shooters than he was at UConn, which I really like as well. Yeah, Andre Jackson Jr., you know, very unique game, but not yeah. exactly. Shooter is not one of the no. first things I would say about Andre Jackson Jr. But yeah, I think that's, you know, part of it as well. Just with Hawkins, I mean, part of it is just, you know, him being able to make transition passes, you know, because he he's someone who, you know, he's going to be absolute, you know, menace if he can get a lane to the rim in transition. Mm-hmm. He's also someone who you can rely on as a trail shooter in transition, right? So, you know, if he's someone who, okay, you know, maybe he's not the first guy out on the break, but, you know, you get the ball to him beyond half court and he makes a good decision with the ball in his hands, that's the kind of thing that could really open up a lot of the rest of, of his game because, you know, the more the more he sort of sees those windows in transition, you know, maybe the more he'll be able to turn you know, that two-on-one into, okay, that's going to end up being, you know, a, a bucket for me rather than just I'm going to, you know, wait till the last second, hold off, and then make the kickout pass down the line, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, I think his, from, you know, last season to this season, his feel, I think, has improved, right? Yes. Which is also always a great sign. Um, and I think it just, it's him, you know, what can I do to impact the game and not, when I'm not shooting? And I think a lot of his passes will, you know, as you mentioned, go come in transition a lot, but also come off, you know, him driving to the basket and just, you know, giving it to his big man that's underneath the rim, right? Just because he is able to kind of make those crafty finishes and maneuvers with his body, just because he has such good feel for the game and he's smart when he's attacking to the rim. Yeah, those those dump off passes are going to be huge mm-hmm. just purely because the fact that he struggles with finishing, yeah. it allows him to say, all right, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of you know, my big finishing here, right? You know, I can get most of the way to the cup, but not all the way there. The fact that he can make those, you know, dump off passes down low is, it'd be nice to see him finish a few more of those. But yeah. given that that's not where he's at right now, at least being able to make those dump off passes is really huge for him. Yeah, for sure. I agree. All right, let's move on now to his defense. And this is going to be interesting because you mentioned, you know, how he does a little bit better on ball than off ball. And this is fascinating to me because I have all season long bought into what he does off ball more than on ball. So we're going to have a little bit of an argument here, but let's start with the on ball stuff. So I think a lot of the on ball stuff comes into play with what we were already talking about with, you know, he does leverage his athleticism pretty well sometimes, but it's the kind of thing where you really hope for him to do more with that because when he does show the full extent of his athletic tools, it's like, wait, why don't you do that every play? And I think that shows up more on ball than it does off ball anyway. Yeah. And like, it's interesting. I can't wait till we get to his off ball because then (laughs) we might go at it and whatnot. But um, Perfect. Time for war. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But on ball, I think it's, I just, you know, to put it kind of simply, I just like it better. It's not that, you know, he's an amazing defender, you know, offer on ball. I just prefer him on ball because I feel like he is can better track the defense and stay with them more and kind of, you know, what he can do on the offensive end. He knows, like, who, who's he, he is guarding. Guarding is kind of doing the same thing and trying to get, you know, rid of him or, you know, get him off him and, like, off switches and whatnot. And I think he slides his feet well. He is usually in the right position. Sometimes he does kind of overcrowd, and that causes, you know, the defender to kind of just blow by him, which I don't think should happen as much as it does with how elite of an athlete he is, which, you know, can be concerning and, you know, hindsight. Um, but when he does stay with, you know, his man and is able to, you know, stay with him all the way to the rim, he can block their shot, which – I alluded in the piece he's had, you know, he only had 18 blocks on the season, but most of them were like, wow. Like, I mean, he can get up and like, he can, he has great timing. You know, he can switch. Well, I think sometimes, I mean, we'll get to the off ball stuff, but um, it's, I think it just comes down to, I really buy into his feel for the game on ball. And I'm just looking forward to seeing how that develops uh, moving forward. And also his movement patterns, just look a lot more fluid here to me Um, because in off ball, I think he has, he kind of gets a little bit lazy in my opinion. I think he does that little like kind of small bounce with his feet sometimes. 
um, rather than, you know, getting into a defensive stance and kind of, you know, swaying back and forth, uh, which I would like to see more of because sometimes he just gets too up in that and, like, is constantly checking his man. And, you know, the defender on the weeks or on the other side just goes by him <laughs> when he's supposed to be, you know, protecting the rim. So, yeah. <laughs> so we'll get into the off-ball stuff in a moment, but I do just want to sort of circle back to something you mentioned with the on-ball stuff and with the blocks. It is really funny that this is something that we say about him on both ends of the floor, that when he does the crazy highlight reel play, it's like, oh my God, why don't you do that all the time? Why do you do that more often, <laughs> right? And it's like, it is very odd. I wonder how much of that is something that can be corrected because it's something mm-hmm. that shows up, you know, so clearly on both ends. Maybe it's like he's someone who really needs to load up before he can get, you know, get all the way up. I mean, you know, some guys are two foot jumpers. Some guys are one foot jumpers. You know, maybe it's the kind of thing where, you know, it's tends to be easier for two foot jumpers to load up. And I wonder if it's the kind of thing where he really just needs to, you know, get in a perfect stance and, you know, be perfectly prepared to sort of take full advantage of his hops because yeah, when he does get up, it's like, why, why is this, you know, again, why is this something we only saw nine times this season in terms of his dunks, right? Why is this, why is this not something we see from him every play? It is, it is odd. Yeah. And like with, you know, his defense in general, I think it comes down to his hustle. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, even though he might be get beat by, you know, a smaller guard or faster guard or whatever the case may be, he's still able to at least contest the shot most of the time and at least trail them and force a tough, you know, shot of his defender or for them to make, you know, a tougher decision, which, you know, I appreciate, right? Because he could easily get up, uh, get, give up on the play and kind of let, you know, his teammate, you know, take his man. But that just causes a huge defensive collapse. Um and, you know, that has happened sometimes this season. I'm not saying it hasn't, because it has. But <laughs> for the most part, I do appreciate that because, you know, even in the best defenders, you know, they could get frustrated and that could happen still. So for him to, you know, be willing to, you know, say, okay, I got beat, but at least I can, you know, help out my team and try to, you know, get back, my, get back to my man and, you know, not cause this huge defensive collapse and for the opponents to get an easier basket anyway. All right, let's talk about the off-ball stuff because this is <laughs> this is where we disagree. Now, it's interesting because you know your first sentence that you say about his off-ball, he tends to overhelp, get flat-footed, over-anticipate, and be late on rotations. <laughs> so yeah, clearly, clearly you're a huge fan of his off-ball yeah. defense. You know, clear, yeah, c- couldn't say it more clearly than that. No, I mean it's interesting because on the one hand, I disagree with you overall, but I don't entirely disagree with that sentence, which I'm going to need to work really hard to salvage that one. Cause otherwise it's going to make me sound like a moron. I think that there were, there were a number of possessions I saw with Hawkins last year when he was rotating down into the paint and just, you know, this, you know, six, five, pretty skinny guy, just desperately trying to hold off the other team's big and he rotated down low often enough that mm-hmm. you know it felt like the kind of thing that a he could do at the nba level and b he would do at the nba level and i think that sort of plays into what i really loved about his off-ball defense that also does not disagree with what you said is, is the overhelp stuff you know i think it's the yeah. kind of thing where you know if he you know if he picks his spots a little better I mean, it's the kind of thing where the defensive effort is always there. You know, it's like, meh, not always, always is strong, but always is strong for anybody, right? I mean, I think the thing is, I really liked a lot of the times when he was rotating down low to help out, which you mentioned later on, you know, a lot of the mistakes he made were sort of, you know, over-anticipating and allowing Donovan Kling up to uh, Donovan Klingon to clean up after him. That was more of a tongue twister than I wanted it to be. <laughs> but no, anyway, I think, you know, the possessions when Klingon wasn't out there, Hawkins would do a lot to try and rotate down to paint. You know, he would help Sonogo out a lot, essentially function as a second big, despite being a six, five, you know, mm-hmm. shooting guard type. And that's, I think the kind of thing that can be really useful at the next level in terms of being a, a player who can switch across multiple positions. And that's something I believe in him doing, you know, his, his decision-making isn't always the best, but I think it's also the kind of thing where, there were a number of possessions where he just kind of shut it down himself, where it was like he, you know, was on the ball handler. And then, you know, one more UConn guy gets back into transition. So he helps down in the paint and then, you know, they kick it out to a shooter and he's the guy running to close out on him. It's the kind of thing where sometimes 
I don't know. It's like sometimes it looks like, okay, maybe that wasn't the best possible choice. But also I felt a lot more like I was willing to trust him to try and make those decisions rather than just saying, eh, you know what, I'll sit back and, you know, hang out on the perimeter. And at least it won't be my fault if the guy scores, <laughs> right? Like that, he's not the kind of player who's going to, you know, be pointing his teammates saying, you, 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 as soon as the guy's driving mm-hmm. through an open lane to the basket. Yeah, he's definitely that he takes accountability for his actions, whether that, you know, be if he made a bad decision or a good decision. I think off ball, you know, I'm not questioning his effort. I think in order to, you know, be a league average defender, a great uh, defender, eventually, you had to have hustle no matter what. And he definitely has that, which is great. Um, But I think it comes down to me not really buying if he's more of a gambler or not, just because of how much he does over help. And he did have 26 steals on the season, but it's kind of hard, you know, me mentioning that. And it's kind of like, oh, or was he just in the right spot at the right time? So that kind of just makes me question, you know, how he really is off ball compared to, you know, how much I do like him on ball. But I think, you know, with him, you know, at least willing to, you know, go down to the post and, you know, help out there when there isn't a big, not a lot of, you know, six, five shooting guards are willing to do that, which is, you know, crazy that he's already doing this in college (laughs) because, you know, he might be asked to do that in the NBA and it might be, you know, to win a playoff game or, you know, you never know what the case can be so that's why you know if i'm his teammate i'm looking at him and be like hey you know i can count on you and that's a really good feeling especially you know when you're going to be a rookie in the league uh, it just comes down to do i really buy if he's more of a gambler or if he is you know solid you know rotating and getting into his position more sure and i mean you know that that really could be the entirety of it right there right where it's like Mm -hmm. you're less comfortable with his gambles and i'm a little more willing to buy in because i think that when he's gambling like that he also is doing a lot of help as you know Mm -hmm. dropping down in paint being a help defender as you mentioned yeah yeah maybe it's just personal preference nick (laughs) no that's that's not it there has to be a clearly defined logical answer why one of us is objectively correct because that's definitely how it works all the time right yeah yes of course of course (laughs) So let's wrap this up by getting to the future outlook section here. So as you mentioned, you have him 10th on your board. I have him 11th on mine. So again, clearly I'm a hater. So, you know, anybody who is a fan of Jordan Hawkins, you know, direct all your hate at NBA Johnson, because clearly I I despise him as a prospect. No, but, you know, in terms of that future outlook, you mentioned him being sort of a six man type and, I it's interesting, but you you mentioned at the end of that section of why couldn't he be the number one or number two option on a contending team? Mm-hmm. I think number one would be like ninety nine point ninth percentile outcome. Yeah, like, that would have to just be you know absolute pie in the sky. But number two option on a contending team is really easy for me to see, and I think that's mm-hmm. just a lot of that is rooted in how he gets to his points. Right, he's the kind of player where in a way you almost need, you know, a number one to draw a lot of the attention because what he's going to be, what Hawkins is going to be doing, like if he hits that number two status, right. He's just going to spend 48 minutes running around off ball screens, getting himself open from three point range. And then as soon as the ball hits his hands, you know, he's putting it up. And in that kind of role, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that, you know, there's all-star, all-star potential in there, maybe, maybe even like a third team, all NBA at some point in his Mm -hmm. career, because he really can be that special as just an off ball movement shooter type. I mean, you know, these, these names are too lofty to throw into a conversation with anybody who hasn't been drafted yet, but I mean, the Ray Allen's and Clay Thompson's of the world, right. That kind of mold Mm -hmm. of, okay, maybe I'm, you know, I mean, Ray Allen was the number one on his team, to be fair, you know, in, in Milwaukee and in Seattle at points, but you know, the idea of being, okay, maybe my best role isn't as the number one overall guy, but if I get someone else around me, who's going to get a ton of offensive attention and I can just sprint around screens all day long, it's pretty easy to see Jordan Hawkins in that role as a 20 point a game scorer. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And I think, you know, one, you know, a number one option might be a little rich, right. But you know, that's just like the highest upside that I could like, if everything, you know, fell right, you know, like we say with any prospect, um, I could see that, um, you know, maybe that's 10 years from now, you know, maybe that's, 
you know, maybe his prime, whenever his prime is. But yeah, number two is very easily for me to see. I mean, his foundation, his athleticism, you know, his insane shooting versatility and his off-ball movement. You know, you almost have a complete offensive player. There's just a, a couple of fine-tuning things that I need him to kind of work on for me to, you know, be so confident in him getting to that spot. But it's the upside that I'm really intrigued with, and I think he can eventually get there. And I think I was watching, like, an interview with him on ESPN, and he said he kind of molds his game, as you mentioned, like, Clay Thompson, Ray Allen, and Max Struess. He was a really big fan mm. of him, which I wasn't really expecting him to say. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, he kind of, like, defines in guys that, you know, are hard workers and, you know, can move exceptionally off ball. And he likes to study those guys because that's kind of how he is. You know, he was kind of underrated coming out of high school. And now he is a potential lottery pick in the 2023 NBA draft, which I don't think was, you know, in his, you know, realm, you know, coming out of high school or what people right. were kind of saying to him. So I kind of like that about him as well. And I kind of mentioned my favorite landing spots for him would be, you know, the Orlando Magic, Dallas Mavericks. I'm kind of, you know, the Golden State Warriors have the 19th pick. I know um, our guys, Maxwell and Nathan, had Hawkins going there in their mock draft. Um, I think he'll be off the board by then, but, I mean, that would be an awesome spot for him <laughs> just to kind of, you know, take over the dynasty, maybe with Jordan Poole or, you know, if you believe in him or whatnot, but... <laughs> You know, uh, <laughs> for audio but, only people aka the people who are listening to this podcast which is in audio form Paige just gave an absolutely legendary jordan pool eye roll which even metcalf's jordan pool eye rolls i don't think quite got to that level so yes. excellent work yes let's go but <laughs> that's, that's what we're really here to beat metcalf in the eye roll contest yes <laughs> yes exactly that's why we're here but yeah i think that's a great fit for him too i think you know and all the NBA draft lottery previews we've done, he can fit into a lot of those teams. And his skill set is just extremely valued in today's NBA. You know, it's a make or miss league. And you're gonna have you're gonna have to have a team that, you know, is full of shooters, can space the floor. Um, and you know, he's just like one of those guys that I think has that dog in him, to be honest. Like he knows there's stuff he needs to work on, you know, his defense you know, clean up his mid-range game and uh, rim finishing ability. But I don't think he's going to, you know, look away from that opportunity to get better. So you mentioned a few of these teams, but just to run through, I think the 10 through 19 of this draft, mm -hmm. I, I would be stunned if he is still on the board for Golden State at 19. If he yeah. is still on the board for Golden State at 19, I don't think there's any way they take someone else unless, yeah. I don't know, they, <laughs> you know, Scoot Henderson's on the board at 19 or something stupid. Like, <laughs> 10 through 19, we've got Dallas, Orlando's second first round pick, Oklahoma City, Toronto, New Orleans, Atlanta, Utah's second first round pick, the Lakers, Miami, and Golden State. So mm -hmm. if he hits the end of that range, Lakers, Miami, Golden State, I think it's all but a guarantee that he goes one of those three slots because yeah. all three of those teams could definitely use him. But, you know, the teams at the top of that range, I mean, you have him 10th on your board. I have him 11th on my board. I mean... Dallas could desperately use another shooter, but I think Orlando is really a fascinating spot to think about for Hawkins because that's going to be their second pick of the first round, right? And odds are, you know, they're based on the way the draft board looks like it's going to fall. They're probably going to be taking a chance on a high upside forward, right? So yep. Jarris or Cam Whitmore, or Asar Thompson, like probably one of those three will be the pick at six. And then when you get to 11, if you're taking a high variance forward with your first pick, you're almost certainly going to want a shooter if you're Orlando, given how much they need shooting. I would be surprised if Jordan Hawkins does not get a long look from the Orlando Magic at pick number 11. Yeah. And, like, I I mean, I would love him to be paired with Paolo and Franz Wagner. Um, and I just think that would be an awesome landing spot for him. If they choose not to, you know, there's been stuff around, right, if they're going to pick or, you know, combine the 6 and 11 picks and or whatever the case may be. But I think that's one of my – best landing spots for him i also know that i think about it the pelicans mm -hmm. all the stuff that's going on there you know if zion's gonna go or not or yeah. you know all the drama that's going on and nola but i think that could be an also an interesting fit too i kind of like him you know learning from other 
guards, veteran guards and veteran players as well. So, I mean, CJ McCollum, I mean, he's just known around the league as being, you know, a guy that likes to mentor young talent. And, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see, like, come draft night, you know, it's going to be one day away from tomorrow. Got that one right <laughs> from the beginning go. of the podcast. <laughs> Uh, but truly any NBA team can use Jordan Hawkins. And I think he's going to have a long and solid career in the NBA if everything falls right. And, you know, he might, uh, be a number two guy before we know it. So, right. I don't think we could end anywhere better than that. So anything else before we wrap this one up? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. No, no draft related coverage going on in no ceilings, right? Just, just dead silence. Yeah. Radio silence over here. We're actually doing all our stuff after the draft. That that sounds right. Yeah, I, I remember that now. We had that we had that meeting where we planned out everything that we're going to do on Friday morning in preparation for the draft. It's yeah. going to be <laughs> no, as you might have gathered by the definitely not sarcastic tone of that conversation. We've got a lot going on over in No Ceilings NBA. So No Ceilings written content in your inbox twice a week now, leading up to the draft. We've got quite a bit, and then of course we'll have a few pieces. In the aftermath of the draft as well, leading up to our extravaganza summer league coverage, which we will once again, No Ceilings will once again be doing summer league, so definitely check us out there. But that is the end of the first season of the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA Podcast Network. So thank you so much to Paige for coming on today's episode. You can find her on Twitter at Paige Auto underscore. You can find all of her work on noceilingsnba.com. And of course, she is running the feeds for social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm sure any form of social media you can think of, Paige has got it covered. So check out all of her work there. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Johnson. And yeah, the NBA draft will be the day after this comes out. So over here on the deep dive side, we will be taking a couple of weeks off. Probably we'll be back with some summer league content, but the couple weeks after the draft will be off. I will be out of the country. I will probably bury my phone in a in a lead box so that nobody can reach me, but we will be back soon after. But thank you so much to all of you who have supported us this season. And for those of you looking to support us in the days leading up to the draft, you can find our draft guide page linked to it in her article on Jordan Hawkins, the air fryer at the very bottom. So check out that article as well. Of course, if you haven't, although if you haven't, why did you listen to the last 53 minutes of this podcast? I think that's enough rambling from us, but for all of you who have been listening all season long, or if you just joined us, it's been a wild ride. It's been a ton of fun to move this co- podcast over to the No Ceilings NBA feed. And yeah, the draft is almost here. But thank you all so much for being a part of the No Ceilings experience. And as always, thanks so much for listening.